Oh, happy Easter to you. You guys look good. You dress up a little bit on Easter. It's fun. There was a, 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 a children's Bible study teacher that on the week before Easter um, passed out some little plastic eggs, empty eggs. Now, some of you that work the uh, Magic 107.7 egg hunt are very familiar with these. Uh, I saw a lot of them yesterday. Uh, but uh, she passed out, passed out the eggs and said, Take this egg home this week, and on Easter Sunday, bring it back, and inside the egg, put something that symbolizes Easter. And so the kids, you know, took them home. Next week, came back, and as the kids were opening up their eggs, uh, you know, someone had put a little, little miniature cross in one. Uh, someone would put like a, like a little, little butterfly sticker in one. Uh, just symbols of Easter, a little flower, you know, springtime kind of thing. And then there was one little boy, Harold was his name. And the teacher was really just shocked that Harold brought the egg back at all because Harold really didn't listen in class very much and, and usually wasn't paying any attention. And she looked at his egg and, you know, she had kind of glanced at it and, and it was empty. And so, you know, she was trying to give him credit for bringing the egg back in general. But as they were kind of talking about all the things they'd put in their eggs, Harold basically raised his hand and said, hey, you didn't ask me about my egg. And she goes, well, I know. Uh, when I opened up, there was nothing in it. He goes, I know exactly like the tomb at Easter. My egg is all about Easter. Now, if you didn't realize it, today is Easter. Uh, which is, I know, uh, what, what's gotten you to the moment this morning. But if you're not familiar with the story, we're going to give you an abbreviated version of it. Take a look at the screen and remember what Easter is about. Jesus died, they put his body into the tomb. The soldiers rolled a huge stone in front of it. They said, there, that should do it. We don't want anyone stealing Jesus' body. So then three days later, Mary came to the tomb. That huge stone was rolled away. Mary looked in the tomb. There were two angels in the tomb. Mary was frightened. She said, Ah! (laughs) She said, What are you guys doing here? One of the angels said, Don't be afraid, Mary. And Mary said, Where's Jesus? And then another angel said, He is risen, just like he had said. She said, well, then, where is he? We don't know because he is risen. Why don't you go find him? Okay, but do you know the way that he has risen so I can go find him in that spot? Uh, well, we don't know because we didn't see him rise (laughs) and Mary says well I'll go look for him all around the town and the angel says okay well go look for him so Mary's in a big hurry and he 
she bumps into a guy. Mary says, "I'm sorry," and the guy says, "It's okay." And Mary says, "I'm looking for Jesus," and the guy says, "Mary," and Mary says, "Jesus." You are alive. You have risen, just like you have said. Can I say the end? Yeah. The end. And that's the story. Pretty much, that's it.、Uh, we're we're in a series、uh, called East、uh, called Rocks. And this morning we themed what we're doing as Easter rocks. And what we're going to do, the way it's going to work is this: I'm going to. Share with you、uh, a couple of passages out of Scripture. Give you a few things to think about, and then we're going to sing. And I'm going to share a little bit. We're going to sing. I mean, it, it, we'll keep it pretty simple, but maybe hit on some things that you have not thought of before. And the first thing I want to、uh, share with you is I want to tell you about a rock concert, a rock concert, and we find it in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40. It is a passage of Scripture that most people recognize as the triumphal entry, which would have happened, of course, before Easter. But in verse thirty-seven, it says this. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen.、Um, it, in John's account of this passage, John actually puts a footnote in. It's not really a footnote. He just makes note of the fact that one of the reasons that the people were so excited to see Jesus is because he had brought Lazarus back from the dead. And so that story had been sh- being shared, and people were、uh, kind of amped up about that, and they wanted to get a, a glimpse at this guy who was bringing people back from the dead. In verse thirty-eight, says, "The King who comes in the name of the Lord is a blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven." Which sounds a lot like Christmas, doesn't it? The the proclamation the angels made in Luke's account of the Christmas story. In verse thirty-nine, it says, "Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, 'Teacher, rebuke your disciples.'" And he answered, "I tell you." If they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. In other words, the rocks would perform a concert. They would be talking. They would be screaming. They would be talking about who Jesus is and what He's done. And I've read that passage a lot. Okay, I, I, I've studied that passage. I know that's a part of the Easter story. If you kind of back up in the triumphal entry, what you may not know about that story is that in that first century, there was a belief among the Jews. That at some point a savior would come and he would raise from the dead the good Jews who had previously died. These righteous Jews would then follow him into Jerusalem, where he would then set up his kingdom and they would spread peace to all the earth. Now that was the belief in the first century、uh, for a lot of Jews. As a result, they believed that the Messiah would come in from the east, down from the Mount of Olives, and so along the entrance to Jerusalem. If you were to look at that historically, down from the Mount of Olives. There were a number of rock tombs that were placed along that roadside because when a Jew died, they decided, well, you know what? If I'm going to be following the Messiah into Jerusalem one day, won't it be more convenient to just go ahead and line the road with these tombs? And so, sure enough, when the Messiah comes, and we'll just all be resurrected, and we'll just follow him on into town and make it easy. We won't have to look for him to be easy. I mean, that was the idea, very practical, and you like the practicality of it, right? And that pathway, and according to Jewish history. Is known as the place of the great resurrection. Now, a lot of times in the triumphal entry, you don't hear that account. You don't hear that piece of history, but that is a part of the history of of Judaism. And 
it was conveniently located because everyone wanted to go with the Messiah into Zion. And so Jesus, as he's coming into town, the passage we just read, well, all these people excited about him and calling him the Messiah and beginning to think that maybe this guy is the Messiah. When the Pharisees come, when the Jewish leaders come to him, the people who rule the Jews come to him and say, look, you need to tell these people to be quiet. You need to tell them just to, just to hold it down. They're getting out of hand. When Jesus looks back at the religious leaders of the day and makes this statement, well, I could tell them to be quiet, but if I do, even the rocks are going to cry out. He basically is looking at the people who know the law, who keep the law and know the history, and is looking around himself saying, if I tell them to be quiet, all these people that are lying this roadway, they'll start screaming out that I'm the Messiah. See, this is a moment that we lose sometimes in reading the Bible that we don't really understand that when Jesus looked back at the Pharisees, he's basically saying, I'm the Messiah. And I can tell him to be quiet, but everything that's getting ready to happen is getting ready to affirm and confirm that I am who they are saying I am. It's a huge moment. See, we think of it as Palm Sunday where everyone's laying down their coats and the palm fronds and things like that, which would have happened last week. But we don't always get the full impact of the story. This is Jesus beginning this celebration of what we will know ultimately as Easter, basically confirming that this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what's going to happen. And everything that's going to happen around me is going to be a testimony to who I am and what I came to do. There was a man who owned a small estate, and he uh, realized he was trying to downsize a little bit. He wanted to sell it and see if he could make enough money selling it and find him another place to live. And so he hired a real estate agent. Uh, to kind of come in and kind of write up the description of it. And Jeff, you would do something like this. I know you would write it up and it sounded so good. And so uh, the agent called him on the phone and he read, you know, read the write-up that he had put together and kind of description land. And the guy that was selling said, well, read that again. And so the real estate agent did that. And the guy finally said, well, I don't think I'm going to sell it after all. And he said, well, why? And the guy said, because I've been looking for a place like that to live all my life. And I haven't. So why would I need anything else? And I want you to know that part of what happens is in our lives when we get to Easter is we have all that we need. Jesus has done everything that he needed to put us into the place to live a life that we were created to live. And that's one of the celebrations of Easter. And your life, my life, needs to be a testimony to that. When people look at us, they ought to see in our lives everything about us just screaming out and crying out who Jesus is and what he's done because he is what makes us the best version of ourselves. And even on your worst day, Everything around you should still cry out that Jesus is God and he's real and his love has changed you. And that sets you apart. That gives you something to celebrate. And that's why we're here this morning, to celebrate who he is and what he's done. And so as we pray and we continue to worship together, let's get ready to move through God's word. Let's get ready to move through some songs. Let's think about and talk about who Jesus is and why Easter rocks as much as it does. And it does. Let's pray. God, not only are you good, you're very good. You're the best. And although it may sound silly, we don't mean it to sound silly at all, you rock. And we come this day and we celebrate your love, your love for us. It's what draws us to this place. And your love for us is what changes us. And your love for us is what gives us the potential to be something different. And something more than we could ever be without you. And so, Lord, over these next few moments as we sing and as we go to your word and we are reminded of some of the moments of the Easter story, the Easter event, I pray that we would catch a glimpse of you and be reminded again 
of just how amazing you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, not only do I want you to see a rock concert, but I want you to rock out for just a minute. Um, another passage of Scripture that, that I like personally, I think it's one of my favorite passages as, as, of the Easter story, and one that we usually ignore just because we don't know what to do with it, is found in Matthew 27, verses 50 through 53. Um, it says this, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So he's on the cross. This is a moment where he has, has made the sacrifice for us and he dies. And it says then this, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Well, what do you do with that? I mean, now, and again, so let me, just, let, me, let me give you a Jeff Dixon paraphrase of what just happened here. All right? this, isn't, this is my summary statement, so don't go out the door and say, all right. Jesus dies, which is, 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 is a turning moment in all of history. He cries out, it's finished. He bows his head, he is dead. An earthquake starts rattling things. Rocks start breaking. Tombs bust open. And then that little verse that they stick in there that you kind of look at and you just scratch your head and go, what is going on? Dead people, Jews, get up. And start walking around. They come back to life again. I mean, this is that. I mean, it's that, it's that thriller kind of moment, right? I mean, it's that, what is going on here? And, and then it does the next little piece, which is even more bizarre. And after Jesus came back to life, after his resurrection, it says, you just read it? Then they went into the city. Now, if, if you're like I am, you know, you can get so busy and start reading through stuff so fast that sometimes it just goes, oh, okay. You, know, and, and you don't think about it. But just think about what I just said. Jesus dies. These dead people get up. They put him in the tomb. Remember the little girl telling Easter story? We got a couple days here where nothing's going to be going on. Everyone's just going to be sad. What are these dead people doing? Because they don't go into the city until Jesus comes out of the tomb. Wouldn't Jerusalem have been a funky place to be that first Easter? I mean, if you're hanging around town, I mean, that's what the passage is talking about. If you're on the outskirts somewhere, you might see somebody wandering around that dead and come back to life. And then a couple days later, they're going into town. Now, that passage, by the way, if you say, well, I really would like to drill down into that. I want to drill into those rocks and really understand it. That's not going to happen today. But... Um, but there's a couple things that we can point out. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Find that out. The reason, of course, for that is the splitting of the temple curtain proved that and remind us that all those animal sacrifices had found their fulfillment in Jesus. The priest was not going to have to go behind that curtain anymore to make that sacrifice. It was a done deal. There's a lot we could say about that. We're not this morning. But it means that Jesus became the sacrifice for you and I and fulfilled all that needed to be done. Earthquakes were not the usual thing that happened when people die. Rocks don't usually just splinter open when someone passes away. 
it reminds us again that Jesus was not just an ordinary person. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified. I think that's an understatement. Because if I'm the one in charge of the execution and the guy that I'm executing dies and all this stuff starts unfolding around me, guess what job I don't want tomorrow? And while we can look back on that now and make light of it because we know the end of the story, which is great, great news for us, notice what he says. Surely, he was the son of God. I don't know if there's a more powerful statement in all of Scripture to know that you're standing now at the base of the cross and you've just crucified and your conclusion is that the person you just killed is the Son of God. What an awful place to be. But no more awful than each one of us when we realize that Jesus did what he did for us, which is now we're back to the temple veil splitting again. I mean, I like to think of myself as a pretty good guy. Sometimes. But I, I know I'm not. But then I take heart in the fact that I'm better than some of you. <laughs> and so I feel better when I compare myself to others, right? Do you ever do that? Do you ever compare yourself to others? I mean, you know you're not great, but I'm not at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Or that guy. See, I'll go both ways because I don't want any, either side of the room to be offended this morning. But, you know, I like to compare, right? And so I feel better about myself when I compare. But at the end of the day, we're just like... That centurion that's got to deal with the fact that we did what we did to the Son of God. That's wrapped up in these verses because it's a part of the Easter message. But then, then there is that annoying little piece where pe- dead people start getting up and moving around. But remember we mentioned earlier that Jesus had said just, a couple, just before this, Well, they can be quiet, but if you tell them to be quiet, these rocks are going to start crying out. And I want you to collect a few rocks this Easter, because maybe you've never caught this part of the story before, but Jesus has already traveled along this path where they've already been burying these Jews who one day were going to go back into the city when the Messiah came. Where do you think these bodies came from? Some of them certainly would have come from the tombs that were lining that path from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And so the very ones that Jesus had said, these rocks will cry out. Oh, these rocks were out all right. And these people now are getting up and they're moving about and they're walking about. And then, after he came back to life, after the Easter event, these resurrected bodies enter Jerusalem. I don't, I don't even have words really to summarize this because when I say it, even when I say it out of my mouth, it sounds silly because it sounds like the understatement of all time. But what if you're sitting in your house and there's a knock on the door and you open it up and it's Uncle Bill. Because where did they go? I mean, where did these people who came back to life go? They went home. Where where, where else would they have gone? 
We don't have any reports in the first century of this, this roaming band of resurrected army of people going anywhere. They didn't, they didn't get an AMC channel called The Walking Dead. They didn't do anything like that. They, they simply just did what they knew to do. They fulfilled the words of Scripture. They went back home. And you know what happened to them? They died again one day. How long did they get? I don't know. Because interestingly enough, isn't it interesting that for something that seems so odd and bizarre and something that you really want to know a little bit more about, Matthew just kind of just leaves the subject alone because he gets back to the more important stuff. Because what's the more important stuff? Jesus is alive. And because he is alive and because he did what he did and because he did everything he said he would do, he fulfilled all the prophecies and even to that first century Jewish person that was looking for Messiah, if they'd have been paying attention, they'd have got it. And Jesus, in a moment and a heartbeat, did so much. The lifeless now had life again. That's me. I asked what's happened in my life. Because I am just like the centurion that stood at the cross and knowing that it was my sin that Jesus had to die to forgive. And as good as I want to think I am, I'm not. And so until he pays that price and makes that sacrifice for my sins, I've got no hope. Either do you, by the way. But because he comes back to life, all of a sudden the lifeless have life again. And of all the things in the world you don't have to fear, you don't have to fear death. Someone told me uh, in a conversation not too long ago that, you know, you Christians, the only reason you're a Christian is you're trying to cheat death. And I thought about it for a moment. And instead of my usual smart aleck response, I gauged it a bit. And I said, no, you don't have to cheat something that's been defeated, decimated, and destroyed. I don't have to cheat anything. Death is done. Because Jesus said so. That's what we celebrate when it comes to Easter. That's the moments that we see. That's what's going on when dead bodies come back to life. That is that moment when we recognize that Easter has changed everything and forever changes everything if we will decide to believe. Will you bow your heads and hearts and let's pray together. God, the Easter story, the Easter event is so loaded with stuff that we've never thought of before. And we try to connect the dots. We collect the rocks, if we will, the, the, the collection of things that help us understand the story even more. And we begin to discover that at the end of it all, at the end of the day, everything that happens, happens for a reason. And everything that happens, happens because it was the way that it needed to be. In every moment of the story, every event, every detail points right back to you. And if we pay attention, and if we recognize it, we begin to see that everything you did, you did for us. Because you loved us. Because we needed help. Because we had no hope. Because we needed a Savior. That's what we celebrate as we celebrate this Easter. Allow the songs that we sing have come to cry of our heart in our victory song this morning. We pray, amen.
You don't have to cheat something that's been defeated, decimated, and destroyed. His death was our win. And that victory allows us to look at life differently and allows us in our lives to to discover and, and dot our lives with every expression of who he is and what he's done. I, I said earlier that your life should just cry out. Uh, even on a bad day, who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means. And, and if you guys are like I am, I, I, I love Easter, I love Christmas, I love Easter, I, I love the events that surround it. You know, we did a little egg hunt yesterday um, out in the city park and had some fun and we already talked about plastic eggs. But see, there's another egg hunt that I just love because I'm a Disney fan. And I love the Easter eggs that are hidden in movies. And I don't know if you're aware of that. That's a, that's a little hidden stuff that's in films and stuff sometimes. And, and so turn your attention to the screen real quick. And let's find some Easter eggs in some films that you probably know about. But if you don't, you can impress your friends. Ever since Toy Story first broke up in the box office in 1995, animation studio Pixar just seems to be picking up more and more steam. And with every film, fans, both young and old, are introduced to a whole new group of characters to fall in love with. Going too slow, let me take the wheel. Number three, said the garbage man. In the first Toy Story, we met a twisted young man named Sid, the next-door neighbor who liked to torture toys and was the primary antagonist to Woody and Buzz in the film. Though he was absent from the sequel, in 2010's Toy Story 3, fans got to see what became of this potentially sociopathic toy mutilator more than a decade after Woody scared the pants off of him. It is now well known that the garbage man singing to himself while enthusiastically emptying bins near the beginning of Toy Story 3 is none other than Sid, but he's all grown up. The most obvious clue is the Black Skull t-shirt, the same one that Sid wore in the first movie, and viewers with good ears might have even recognized the voice of Eric Von Detten reprising his role from the original. Leave it to Pixar to show that even unhinged psychopaths can become contributing members of society. At number two, it's the pizza truck. Sometimes it is plain as day, and other times it's really hidden far in the background. But one way or another, Pixar will find a way to sneak in the Pizza Planet truck from Toy Story. Since it first debuted in 95, the pizza truck has made an appearance in every single Pixar movie except The Incredibles. One of the easier times you can spot the truck is actually when it's parked next to the trailer in A Bug's Life and Monsters, Inc. The truck has become such a constant, it even appears as a wood carving in the witch's shack in 2012's Brave. The pizza truck is often included in very sly ways, but the very easy to spot rocket on its roof always allows it to stand out from the background for those Pixar mega fans out there keeping an eye out for it. In fact, the only way we would want a Cars 3 is if it's starring the Pizza Planet truck. I'm totally just kidding, no one wants another Cars movie anyway. And finally, at number one, it's A113. The granddaddy of all Easter eggs. Slipping in A113 into the film started as an inside joke for the animators, but soon it became a must-needed Easter egg for fans. The joke refers to Room A113, the California Institute of the Arts' room for graphic design and character animation. Many animators and filmmakers who wound up working for Pixar, including directors John Lasseter and Brad Bird, attended classes in A113, and they've made it a point to reference their humble beginnings in every film they make. 
It can be seen on the license plates in both Cars and Toy Story, on an underwater camera in Finding Nemo, and it's very cleverly written in Roman numerals over the witch's wood carving hut in Brave. Its most prominent appearance, though, is in 2008's Wally, where A113 is used as the order commanding the ship's autopilot from returning to Earth. What makes A113 such an epic Easter egg is that it appears through multiple films outside of Pixar 2. It has even appeared in episodes of The Rugrats, The Simpsons, Firefly, and American Dad, as well as live-action blockbusters like The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and The Avengers. So keep your eyes sharp, because you never know when A113 might just pop up. And so now you know. And, you know, and I think about that, and I watch that, and I'm fascinated by that. It's really cool stuff. And it dawned on me that you know, I want every area of my life, even in the details when people look, I want them to see something that defines me. And it's not an A113 classroom, you know, it's not a, re- the, the, a reoccurring picture. I, what I want them to see is I want them to see Jesus in me everywhere I go. I want the Easter egg that people find in my life to be him. I want him to show up in all that I do. I want him to show up in all I say. I want him to be so clear that people would see that I have a life now that is worth living because of him and him alone. Our victory comes through him. And there's one more rock that we have to talk about on Easter because, well, if we didn't, we would be silly. And it's simply this one. It's the rock that rolls. Um, Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through 6 is what we're going to look at. I've heard that... um, possums are really smart animals. Now, you wouldn't think so, because if you're driving down the road, what is the animal you're most likely to see laying dead in the street? Well, it's a possum. And there's a joke that goes, why did the chicken cross the road? To prove to the possum it could be done. But possums, it turns out, are a little bit smarter than we think, even though they they, they tend up being roadkill a lot. Because if they, enter, if they come to a hole, they won't enter the hole if there's just one set of tracks going in. A possum backs away from that hole unless they see a set of tracks coming out. Because they want to know if they go in, they can come back out, and there's not a predator in there that's waiting to kill them. Now, if that isn't true, I can't prove it one way or the other because I haven't talked to a possum as of late. But that's what those who study these things say. But part of the message of Easter is that we don't have to fear death because there are tracks leading out of the tomb. There are moments that we know that what was waiting in the tomb isn't so frightening. We're reminded when we look at Easter that what's inside the tomb isn't the end. It's only the beginning. And it's the message that we need to hear at Easter. That day when it unfolded, that blood-soaked body that they placed in that tomb and they sealed that tomb up, there wasn't a whole lot of hope in that moment. There wasn't a lot for folks to hold on to in that moment. They had heard what he said, but that seemed so far away in those moments when they put the dead body of Jesus in there because they had been there, they had watched him die. No one comes back from a death like that. Nobody comes away from those moments. And so when they sealed that tomb up and that rock rolled across the face of that tomb, as silly as it sounds, if that rock would have had eyes, it had the best view of what was going on inside. 
Because once that rock moved across that doorway and sealed that tomb, and it was plunged into complete darkness, that rock became a powerful witness to the Easter story because ultimately it was the rolled away, to- rolled away stone. That was the first thing that was noticed about the empty tomb. In the passage it says this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, Mary mother, uh, brought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified? He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place they put him. The walk that morning had been emotional. They were going to the tomb. And notice it was the women that were going to the tomb. Not the disciples that we read about. Not the twelve. But these women. Who had stayed near the cross. Had been there when they hurriedly got Jesus into the tomb. And now they were going back on this morning to finish the job that they didn't get to do. They, they wanted to anoint his body. This was an act of love. They had heard the message that Jesus had said. They knew they were supposed to love. This is nothing but an act of obedience, dogged obedience based on love. They have no expectations. The reason is because the conversation on the way. And isn't it nice that the Bible points out the conversation? Because they are very focused on the rock. So much so that as they're walking along, they realize they have a barrier in front of them. They have a huge stone that they can't move. They also realize that the second part of that barrier may be the Roman guard that's there. Because there was a Roman seal on the tomb. Because they were afraid that someone would steal the body of Jesus. And so the Romans had posted guards there. That seal that had been placed there. If that seal was broken, it was punishable by death. So they're now on their way to anoint the body of Jesus, knowing that when they get there, they've got to talk the guards into moving that stone. And ultimately, if they can talk them into that, it could cost the guards their their lives. I mean, it is an enormous task, so much so that as they're walking to the tomb that day, it is not about, hey, we're getting ready to celebrate Easter, we're going to have an egg hunt. It's all about the fact that there is a rock. How are we going to get past that rock? How are we going to get past that stone? Too big for us to move. We would die if we just moved it without permission. What are we going to do? And yet they kept walking, carrying their spices to anoint Jesus, heading to that place to do what needed to be done simply because they loved him. See, their lives... We're already showing the evidence of who Jesus is and what he'd done. He had changed them so much, they were going to go and they were going to try to attempt to do what really was going to be impossible. And they didn't have a great plan. But they knew they had to do it. And so it was obedience that took them down that road. And as they get there, they notice the stone is gone. They noticed it was moved. And in that moment, it didn't dawn on them that Jesus was risen. Their first thought was someone had stolen the body. Again, they were quick to believe the impossible scenario, but not the most impossible scenario. Because 
as they ran inside, they ran inside and they were startled. And that's when they heard the announcement. He's not here. Just like he told you. He's risen. He's come back. The tomb's empty. He's gone. And in that moment, everything in their life changed because that rock had been rolled. And just so you know, and you know this already, and they didn't roll the rock away so Jesus could get out. They rolled the rock away so the women could get in. Right? Because that wouldn't seem kind of silly and it's really counterintuitive to think of the story any other way, right? Because imagine Jesus coming back to life inside a tomb and then standing there knocking on the rock trying to get someone to move it. <laughs> hey, I'm alive again. Can you move the rock? Because, I mean, if miracles happen inside, I just can't get out. The rock's too big. Is there really a rock so big that God can't move it? I think not. And so the rock becomes that first witness to all that's going on. It becomes that first moment where we begin to see that something else has happened and we discover all of a sudden that the sting of death is gone, Jesus is back alive, resurrection has taken place, and now the world is going to be a very different world. And it changed everything. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. That's why this church exists. That's why we do egg hunts. That's why the party takes place like it does, because of Jesus and who he's done, who he is and what he's done. It's life. Our greatest victory happened on that Easter weekend. And it happened between the cross and that empty tomb. And then we get to make a decision. Now, there's a lot of things that we can do on Easter. And we're going to keep singing. We're not done yet. And we've got some things we want to do before we leave. But, but I'm a preacher. All, not always a good one. I got that. Someone told me one time, you're a model preacher. And I said, I appreciate that. And so I looked up model in the dictionary. Small imitation of the real thing. Um, and then it made sense when I thought about who complimented me on that. When I was like, okay, okay, you weren't really complimenting me. I got that, okay. Um, but here's the deal. I've been in church on Easter Sundays a lot of times before, and maybe some of you have as well. And I remember them as kids. And we'd get to the end, that pastor, we thought he was finally done, he was never done. And we'd get to the end of that Easter moment, and all of a sudden, they'd tell They'd tell us to stand and sing, and we'd stand up. We'd always sing the same thing. It's going to be just as I am. It may be the only hymn I still remember from beginning to end, all 38 verses. And, and, and if you ever watch Billy Graham crusade, that's the one they used because Billy knew everybody knew it. And we'd sing it. We'd sing it. We'd sing it. We, could, we would sing that song so much. We got somebody moving in that room because they wanted them to come forward and shake the preacher's hand and make some decision. And that, those are important moments. I'm not, I'm not, I, well, I make light that I'm not minimizing it. But here's what you need to know. When I get ready to sing just as I am, I'm going to ask you a question. And you've got you to answer this question, not out loud. You've got to answer this question. Do you believe the story that we talked about this morning is true? If you do, then the next question is really important. Have you decided to believe, trust, and follow Jesus? That simple. No song. Not going to sing a song to give you time to stand up and watch other people and see what they're doing to think about it. It is a simple question and you have to answer it and only you can answer it. Have you made the decision to believe, trust, and follow Jesus? You can call it whatever you want. We call it a lot of things in church. We call it salvation. We call it asking Jesus into your heart. We can talk about a sinner's prayer, which isn't in the Bible, by the way. But this is really a choice that you're going to make. It's a choice between you and God. Do you believe it's true? And if you believe it's true, do you trust Jesus to be the way? 
He said he was. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by my me. And if you believe that, and if you will trust him, will you give your life to him and follow him? If so, then this Easter has a special meaning for you. And there's some of you in this room that need to do that. There's some that are going to watch this. Some are going to download this later. That's the decision you need to make. And I'm going to pray in just a second, and you get a chance to make that decision. And I'm not going to ask you to come forward during a song, because I know that I spent a lot of years in churches where the preacher would always tee it up by saying, you know, coming forward is the first public testimony that Jesus has done to me in life. And I'm like, no, no, they're just coming forward to find out information. They're not saying anything yet. They don't get it that quick. I'm just going to ask you to make that choice. And if you make that choice, I just want you to let me know you made the choice. And you can do it by taking a worship flyer and just checking that spot on the back that says, I've asked Jesus into my heart. Stick it in the giving box on the way out the door. Give me a way to call you. Give me a way to email you. I'll contact you on your terms. I'm not going to come pounding on your door. I'm not going to show up at dinner time. Hey, I'm here. That's what they did in Jerusalem when the dead guys got up and walked. But I am going to contact you on your terms, your turf, so we can talk about the decision you make. I'm going to make it as easy as possible for you, but you have to make the choice. That's Easter. And so if you would, bow your heads and hearts. And let's pray for just a moment. With every head bowed, every eye closed, there's some in this room this morning that need to make that choice. And we can't walk out the door without dealing with the reality of that. And so my question for you is real simple. Have you made a decision to believe and trust and follow Jesus? If you have, then pray silently for those that need to make that choice. And if you haven't, pray with me. Not the words, but the intent of the prayer, because it's important. Jesus, I love you. What you did is so amazing, so important. I never thought about the story like I have in the last few minutes. Easter really does rock. But there's something missing from my life. I haven't made the decision to believe. I haven't trusted you. I'm not following you. And I need to clean up that little mess this morning. I need to make this a very good Easter. And I need to become a follower of Jesus Christ. No emotion. Simple. A choice. A choice that we all have to make. Because one day, God's going to ask us, did you choose me? Or did you not? I pray that this day you would choose him. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? On February 27th, 1991, during Operation Desert Storm, a woman by the name of Ruth Dillow received the worst call of her life. Her son, Clayton Carpenter, private first class, had stepped on a landmine, was dead. For the next three days, she grieved. No one could comfort her. On the third day, after receiving the terrible news, the phone rang, and on the other end of the phone came the voice that said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. At first, she thought it was a cruel joke, but as the conversation continued, she realized through a bad connection, it was her son. Two weeks later, he was home. And she said later that she laughed and she cried and rejoiced because what had been a hopeless situation became the greatest day of her life. 
And the reason it became such a great day, she would smile and say, because I got great news from a graveyard. And I want you to know that's the Easter story. You've been given great news from a graveyard. That's why we celebrate. That's why we're here. The greatest thing about following Jesus, and I tell people this all the time, is it's never too late to be who you were created to be. Some people listen, they'll hear me talk, and they'll go, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I really don't, I don't. You don't care what I've done. But I do care where you're going. And we said this last week, and we're saying it again this week, because it's a part of the message that we're using during this, this series on rocks. And it's simply this, you can't turn back the clock. But you can't wind it back up again. And so no matter who you are, no matter where you are, today is the first day of the rest of your life, and you can decide that from this day forward you're going to live this life for Jesus. And so what do you do with what you heard today? Well, some of you, if you've made that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, the God follower, make sure you drop me a note. Put it, leave it here before you leave this morning so we can talk about that decision, what you've done, what it means, how you can understand it better, what needs to happen next. It changes eternity. You don't just get heaven out of this deal. You get abundant life in the here and now. And that's what makes it worth it. And so if you've made that choice, let us know that. But the other thing that we've talked about along the way, and we tell you the same thing again today because we want you to make sure you anchor this, is think about this, especially today, these weeks, we have these rocks that we're turning around, we've, spent, we've spared no expense. What memories do you have of who he is and what he's done and how has he changed your life? Even this Easter weekend. You, know, you sit here this morning, it's not by accident. Because if I ask you, how did you get here? You can say, I came in a car. Well, that's not real creative. Funny, but not real creative. But you are the product of so many things. And if you think back, you know that God has blessed you and God has done some things for you. What is it that you're anchoring your life to? And what memories are you celebrating this Easter? But the other thing beyond that is this. Think about the moments. It's not just the memories, but those memories are built on moments. Connect the dots of your life. Just like we went on a rock hunt this morning. Some of you will walk out the door this morning and say, you know what, I heard something about Easter I'd never heard before when Jeff was talking about that resurre- the path of the resurrection in Jerusalem. I didn't know that was out there. That's a brand new thing for me. That makes these passages make sense. And so, happy Easter. It was an Easter egg. See, you showed up and you opened it up and found something new that you never knew about. And you say, well, is that really true? Of course it's true. I would to Easter. But connect the dots of your life. And remember the moments that have brought you here because some of you are sitting here this morning and you are the byproducts of moments where if you start connecting the dots of your life, God has been taking care of you and trying to get you to a moment where you would come face to face with him. You're not just living on borrowed time. You're living on other people's borrowed time. You've been winding that clock up so much and God has given you every opportunity to respond. Life is worth living and it's good and God has given us moments that are worth celebrating and you need to be celebrating those moments. Ministry, that's a a church word, isn't it? You came to church on a Sunday. I use the word ministry. That's the way preachers say it, by the way. that's, That's how you know we went to seminary. It's not just ministry, it's ministry. Are you part of the ministry? 
What are you doing to touch the world? Are you doing something for the ministry? We're, there's a class that we go to to learn to say that. We talk about God and ministry. But you have the chance to touch and change the world with the love of Christ. I mean, your life is not an accident. And you've been blessed so you can bless others. How are you doing with that? See, if you walked in thinking that life is all about you, boy, you screwed up. Because life is a gift from God so that you can bless and impact the life of others. That's ministry. And as you serve Him, you begin to pour your life into others and to make their life better. And you discover in doing that that you have a purpose for your life and it makes it worth living. What are you doing? What are you doing to make the world a better place? And if you're not, Easter is a great starting day. You can start even at Easter lunch this afternoon. Make it simple. Bless the wait staff of the restaurant that you're going to double. I know it hits you in the pocketbook, so some of you might go to Crystal now, but either way, (laughs) give it a shot. See what happens. And then last, momentum. Allow the moments in your life to take the momentum and carry you into the next day. I mean, come on, let's be honest. One of the reasons when I woke up this morning, tired as I was from yesterday, was because you know what? Yesterday I had the opportunity to see how God works, how God can use people like us to impact the world, how, how God uses simple things to create a party and a celebration. And you know what? As tired as I was, that was the momentum I needed to get moving into the day. God let me open my eyes this morning. And he gave me one more day to follow and serve him. Hasn't he done enough for you? Use the things that he's done. Allow them to build momentum in your life. Allow that momentum to carry you and make you that person that you were created to be. Become the best version of you. Have a life worth living. And celebrate him. This is just actually the second in a series of uh, studies we're doing on this theme of rocks. And we're looking at rocks in the Bible. But we're looking at really what they mean. And I can tell you this above all other things. Jesus rocks. My Heavenly Father rocks. My Pop rocks. And you can say it a lot of ways, but he said, he said, you can call him Abba Father, Daddy. And so today when you leave, we have a gift for you. Pop rocks. Oh, yeah. See, not only do you show up on Easter, you get candy on Easter. I mean, that's a good day, right? And... I go back to what I said about blessing your weight staff. Even if you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm on the diet. I'm above such things. Okay. Maybe you really are, and you can sell that here. Well, we'll, we'll give you a pass. Give them away. Share them with others. Now, don't open them up and lick them and share them with others, but share them with others. And so on your way out this morning, make sure you pick up your pop rocks. All right.